Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello everybody and welcome to the Talk is City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is Mr Stu Brennan and Mr Tyrone Marshall. Not enough time for pleasantries today lads because I don't know if you've heard <laughs> but we've got some stuff to talk about and none of it I imagine will be what's happened on the pitch. It has been, it's only Thursday and it's probably been, I can't speak for both of you but certainly for me it's been the maddest week of my professional life. I say it's not over yet. What started on Sunday with 12 leading European clubs announcing their intention to form a breakaway Super League has ended in absolute tatters just you know, three days later. And Manchester City were the first team to officially pull out of the competition. The only teams remaining in it as of yet, despite Florentino Perez's um, lies, are Real Madrid and Barcelona. Stu, we'll start at the beginning because so much has happened in the last five days or so. What was your initial reaction to kind of Sunday's announcement? Thankfully, they waited till the end of line of duty to announce it, which is the only good thing that they have done in the past five days. So, you know, a broken clock is right once a day or twice a day, as they say. Well, the rumours have been there for, for a long time, haven't they? You know, we, we keep we keep hearing this room. We know that they've wanted it. We know that Real Madrid have wanted it and, and United and Liverpool. Um, but even still, when it happens, it still, it still hits you like a kick in the gut. And when you when you see, saw the detail, the fact that there would be, you know, automatic right to be in the thing, that, that's the thing that's got everybody, hasn't it, more than anything. The fact that you, you it's a closed shop, you know, you've been told that you, you're in it. It doesn't matter how bad you are on the field. It doesn't matter where you finish in your domestic league, as long as you're allowed to stay in your domestic league, that you will be in it. And it's, it just goes against everything that, that football fans and sports fans in this country believe in. You know, you, you believe in merit. It's such an American idea. And it, it just it's just antipathy. It's just, it's just it's just the absolute opposite of everything that we believe in. So it still came as a it still came as a shock. Um and the fact that it crumbled within forty eight hours uh tells you how ill advised it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, getting the news on Sunday, I couldn't sleep. I don't think I got to sleep till two o'clock in the morning. It just first I was pumped up from my duty and then this came out of nowhere. It was just it was just absolutely sickening, honestly, like on like a personal level, it was like, you know, worked all my life to kind of become a football journalist and write about football, like sport, I love sport, we all love. And then to see the two clubs that I have to write about being involved in this, it was just, it made me like, for, you know, for two days, question my actual life decisions because like I couldn't, the thought of even looking at City United was absolutely just anathema to me. And as you say, it seems like there's always been the threat of it. This, the, the big clubs have always kind of had this lingering cloud over the rest of us saying they will use this one day. And then, you know, gradually, then suddenly, as Hemingway said, it's like it just feels like an absolute kick in the balls when it came out. But, you know, we fought, everyone's fought so viciously against it that it's now gone tight. You know, what were your feelings on Sunday evening? Well, I suppose shock, really. I mean, like Stu says, there's always been talk of a, a Super League and a breakaway league, but perhaps naively, naively I'd always just considered it a, a, a kind of 
negotiating tool, really, and an empty threat of this is what we could do, this is what we might do. And it, I, I always just thought that they won't do it. It's, it's to pressure UEFA. And the, the ridiculous thing is that the following day, they were getting what they want from UEFA, these clubs. That's that's the mad mm. thing about it, that, you know, they'd got what they wanted and, and still they went through with it. And it was just incredible, you know. I mean, I, I cover both teams on, on the MEN. So I was actually at United game on Sunday and it was it was probably the strangest game of football I've ever been to with it being behind closed doors and then this breaking a roundabout kickoff just before kickoff. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone in the press box saw a kick in the first half, which you know we didn't miss much, thankfully, by all accounts. But and the fact it was, at least if it was a crowd there, there would have been something attracting you back to what was happening on the field. But the fact there wasn't meant everyone in the press box was like, "Oh, there's a Premier League statement. There's UEFA statement. Have you heard this? Have you heard that? So and so saying this." And then at Old Trafford next, you've got the director's box with everyone's looking across. There's no Ed Woodward. Ed Woodward's not here. Why is Woodward not here? And it's like, who is here? Who isn't here? Who's talking? And it was almost like what was going on on the pitch was just a complete irrelevance, which is ironic because that's what it would have been if the European Super League had, a, had a come to fruition. So, you know, it it was a mad night. And then 9.30 comes and goes with, with nothing. And you're thinking maybe they've backed down. And sadly not. I ended up watching, line, which you know, listen to a Line of Duty podcast, but I ended up watching it on Catch Up once 9.30 had been and gone. And then just about to, to give up and, and go to bed when the statement does drop. And yeah, I, I was the same as you, just, you know, absolutely mortified that it that it could happen and that it would just, you know, it, it just destroy everything that, that the sport that is so good about the sport. So you, you can't have a closed shop league. And the you know the idea that, oh, well, we'll invite five teams who do well that season with, with no quantifying of which five teams they are or, or how it, you know, how is that decided? Is it the champions of X, Y and Z league? There was, you know, there was nothing at all. And it was so lacking on detail. And that was clearly in there just to satisfy the people who will say it was a closed shop league. But it was. When 75% of your teams are qualifying, no matter how bad they are, like Arsenal this season, then it mm-hmm. is a closed shop league. And it was, you know, it, it was a complete disgrace. And I think the reaction, the reaction to it over the following 48 mm-hmm. hours was superb. I believe some I, of the financial... Oh, sorry, Stu, after you. I, I was just going to say that you... you you both raised a good point uh, that I hadn't really given a great deal of thought to. And that there was a professional aspect. For, for us as journalists, it was a professional aspect because we'd suddenly be presented. Oh, United and City are such a big part of what the Manchester Evening News does. Mm-hmm. And we'd suddenly been presented with a situation where do we do we just report this straight and, and not, not have an opinion? Because... You know, it could if it went through. What do we do then? United are playing Real Madrid and City are playing Barcelona in midweek. Do we ignore it, or do we be hypocrites and, and go just go and report it like nothing else has happened? Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that we took the we took the mm-hmm. the stance that to be against it right from the off. And it was it was it's a bold thing to do because we we're running the risk of undercutting our own business here. Um, I'm not saying we're victims and all this because we're not, you know. But it, it was it was it made things difficult professionally for us. And as Ty said, you know, the magnitude of it is that the football was forgotten at Old Trafford, and that doesn't happen very often. So you know, the, the fact the fact that it, it fell apart so quickly is, is is a massive relief for everybody, the fans, the players, the managers. And the journalists as well, and uh, I'm, I'm personally, I, I'm, I'm pleased for all of us that, that mm-hmm. it happened that way. Yeah, and I think what's quite interesting, like it didn't feel like it was a conscious decision to do that. Everyone just was immediately against it at the MEN. Yeah. I don't think we, we all, we weren't all. I certainly wasn't. I don't know if anyone else was, but I certainly wasn't in a meeting saying, "Are we going to be against this? Do we just play it straight?" Like everyone was just against it from the yeah. off. Because we're all football fans as well as journalists, and we all hated it. And I think what's even what it's just ludicrous because it's such an 
just a disgusting thing in process, but it was so stupid thing as well. Like they've apparently spent three billion on it and three years according to Perez in planning, and then they release it with the worst graphics you've ever seen. Just no, they haven't even got the 15 founding members agreed because PSG and Dortmund and Bayern Munich, um, you know, I've earned a lot of praise from a lot of people for saying no to it. They had no real plans in place, no fixtures, no sponsors, no broadcasters. And it just seemed, it just seemed like a half-baked money grab that just shows that why they want it is because they're inadequate at running the clubs. Juventus, 90, 100 million on Ronaldo. Madrid, 120 million, 29-year-old Hazard, who's played about 20 games for him. The reason these clubs wanted this is because they're all up the creek without a paddle financially because of mismanagements of their own clubs. And then they think they can run a league of 12 clubs or 20 clubs, whatever it was. Like I'm, Half of me is a bit gutted that he didn't go ahead because I really do truly think it would have died the funniest of deaths type. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, it was, like you say, it was so ill-thought-out and, and lacking in detail, really, that... You know, that was that was the amazing thing that these clubs are so, you know, the people who own these clubs don't get to these positions. You don't get to become a billionaire by being thick. You know, they're, they're clearly intelligent people, but it was so, so ill thought out and so lacking. It feels in like you do, it's incredible. I well, should be a billionaire does, with yeah. the way they're playing that. And I know we'll come on to it later, but to hear Florentino Perez rambling on Spanish radio last night was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was like listening to your great granddad talk. It was just absolutely incredible. I swear that man these people in these positions. Just have an interview at a normal time. I want to go to bed. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. The basic basic bankruptcy of the idea is shown by the fact, I mean, they were never going to consult the fans about it because they don't give a toss about the fans when we're all said and done. But the fact that Pep Guardiola found out about it hours before the announcement, the players didn't know about it. Jurgen Klopp obviously didn't know about it, and the Liverpool players didn't know about it. And they were they were all massively against it. But the fact the fact that you think you can go ahead without the players and the managers, the people who'd be run, running, you know, we, we don't know what would have happened. Maybe they would have all had to swallow the pride because they still want the, the paycheck at the end of the day. But the fact that they were so against it, uh, you know, they, they could have really, if, if the players and the managers had stuck to the guns, They've been right, you know. All right, they've been contractually obliged to play, but having a bunch of players and managers working for you who who haven't got the heart in it is not the best mm-hmm. best look. And mm-hmm. it's the chances of it. Working. So the, that very fact alone shows you it, there's there's an arrogance inherent in this that we can do what we want, we can do exactly what we want. You know, the world's run on these lines. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, and they're they're just a, they're just an you know they're just my football's a micro become a microcosm. Of the planet we're living on, unfortunately, mm. uh, and I, I wish that we would get as this the country would be as united and angry about the issues yeah. that we're being faced on a day to day basis as oh. we've got about football because we'd, we'd soon sort things out. You know, we, we, we wouldn't be in the, the bloody messes that we keep finding ourselves. But anyway, that's me being political. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. you know, the, the fact that they just thought we could just go ahead and mm-hmm. everyone will just swallow it because they'll have to because we're in charge, we're the bosses. And uh, what what we say goes, you know. Perez was asked about, you know, did you ever think of consulting the fans? And his answer was something like, "Well, do I have to ask ask them mm-hmm. when we're going to sign somebody?" Mm-hmm. You think, for God's sake, man, you know, th- this is not the same thing. This no. is not. This is an. This is about the entire thing. Not about by which player you're going to buy. And mm-hmm. the arrogance, the arrogance, and it's an arrogance that's led to incompetence. You know, and, and that they're not, they're not stupid people, but arrogant people. Just who have no sounding board apart from themselves and the people who are like them make bad decisions, and that's what's happened. 
The people who've never been told no, but they were told no in emphatic fashion this week. The proposals were met with furious backlash from all walks of life, kind of spearheaded by Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher um, and the reactions uh, on Sky Sports during the games. Supporters, pundits, former players, current players, eventually politicians, even the royal family were all against it. And um, on Wednesday, it all started to collapse. Ahead of Chelsea versus Brighton on Wednesday, um, hundreds, if not thousands, of Chelsea fans, despite what Perez says, claiming there's only 40. Thousands of Chelsea fans outside Stamford Bridge attempting to kind of block the team bus ahead of the match in protest. Petr Cech, um, a Chelsea legend and current chief at the club, went out to try and kind of talk with them. And then the news eventually came through to those Chelsea fans that they had, had intended to pull out. Dubious celebration, um, sorry, joyous celebrations were met with that. And then City, um, a few minutes or hours later, were the first club to officially confirm it. CEO Ferran Soriano wrote to supporters on Wednesday, um, apologising. Um, a part of that letter said, it is a truth that is fundamental to the DNA of Manchester City and the board deeply regrets taking a decision that lost sight of the historic values of the club. We made a mistake and we sincerely apologise for our fans for the disappointment, frustration and anguish caused by the last 72 hours. Stu, what is kind of your reaction to the whole collapse and City's apology and this, uh, how galvanising is it to see it you know, just absolutely crumble? Yeah, fantastic. I mean, A, because 48 hours on, I was already heartily sick of writing about it. <laughs> but, but yeah, because, because it, was, it, was, it was the wrong thing. And, it, and I was so pleased. Um, you know, City, obviously City's part in it is, is what sort of occupied me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does. I, I'm not making an excuse because there is no excuse. What they did was wrong. It was a terrible decision. But... The way the way it's come out is that City City's motivation wasn't a money grab because that isn't that isn't the motive of the owners. You know, the motive no. of the owners is, is to have City up there flying the flag and pushing Abu Dhabi as a uh, as a tourist destination, as a business hub, and uh, you know, and Etihad Airways as a, as a world airline, and that has worked for them. That has worked really well with with the progress of City. You know, Abu Dhabi and Etihad have been promoted. So, you know, that that that's that's their reasoning. United, we've known from day one. I was I was outside Old Trafford when the Glazers took over and, and the fans were kicking off then. Everyone knew what they were there for. They were there to make money, nothing else. They didn't give a damn about United. They didn't give a damn about English football. They were there to make money. So nobody's been under any illusions that that's why the Glazers bought United. The American lot at Liverpool, I think some some of the more deluded Liverpool fans have I'd like to believe that they actually did get it, you know, and that like mm-hmm. Jurgen Klopp and the players, they bought into that Liverpool culture on, on their rich heritage, but they never did. No. Again, they, they were a group who were set up to make money out of sport. And it, this exposed the Liverpool owners for what they mm-hmm. are, you know, just, just naked greedsters um, mm-hmm. who, who just wanted to make money. But City, in some ways, City fans found this harder to take because their owners, they've always believed that their owners had good intentions, you know. Mm-hmm. They invested in the club heavily. They've, they've not made any money out of it at all. In fact, they've lost money on it as an enterprise. And they've invested in the community as well. And then all of a sudden, they're jumping into bed with it with, with the Glazers and they're jumping into bed with John Henry and, and Perez and, and these other people who we know who, who we know got naked greed as a, as a central part of their ambition. That was, that was ups, really upsetting for City fans, I think. And City fans, more than any of those other Super League clubs, understand this concept because what they've been through in the last 20 25 years you know with the promotions they've been down there with with Wigan and with with Bradford and you know with all these other clubs 
and they've had to fight their way back up. They've had to earn the place in that top league on merit. Um, you know, they've not just sort of been there by divine right. You know, United, it's nearly 50 years since they dropped out of top. Arsenal have been in there forever. Spurs have been there forever. Liverpool have been there since, you know, the 60s. So, you know, City fans get that and they, they have an empathy for the struggles of other clubs who are trying to get in. And in a way, the, the ownership of City, the takeover in 2008, a lot of people are against it. But what it did do, it showed you that you can join that elite. You know, if you get, if you get, if you make a good business decision, if you get a, an owner who is willing to invest, you know, Newcastle can do it, West Ham can do it as well. If, if they if they get the right owner, the right investors, they can join in. I mean, Leicester have done it, it on a smaller scale, but they got a good investor. They got somebody who who ran the football club in a good way, put money in, and and they've joined in. They've joined in that elite, and that that is what the dream is. That is the dream. So City, and I know City get afraid of the nightmare because of all this money and it's all blah 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 but they still represent the dream there are not many football fans out there who would not follow that dream if if, if it was presented to their club you know uh, and City fans have loved it they've had they've had a, after two decades of absolute horror um, they, they've had they've had a decade of complete joy and, it, and it's sort of it's it's within it's within the DNA of City fans I hate to use that phrase but it's within the DNA of City fans to to understand that and and they felt they felt betrayed. They felt that that, yeah. that part that part of them. And it was good to see Ferenc Soriano recognise that in his apology. And it was I think it's also been good for City fans to realise that he basically when he said he made a bad decision, he did make a bad decision. He didn't, you know, City were clearly reluctant to go in the league. Perez has said that himself last night. You know that City. He made it plain that City were the club who didn't want to, who weren't interested in this. But they obviously jumped in at the last minute because they were worried. And that—that's City's ownership making a decision based on the fact that you know well, we're going to be left behind. You know, Real Madrid and Barcelona, United—they're all going to be playing each other in midweek, and we're going to be where we're we going to be. We're going to be in a wilderness somewhere. So I get that. I understand why he took that decision. I think it was an awful decision, and it was the morally the wrong decision. And he can't—they can't be used as an excuse. But I think that there is mitigation in City's case, a mitigation that United haven't got, Liverpool haven't got, and the other clubs haven't got. I would think, um, as you can say, I would think this, I'm theorising a bit here, but I would imagine there was probably a bit of nervousness at City as well when Sheikh Mansour was splashing the front page of papers on Tuesday morning, being labelled a greedy capitalist along with Joel Glazer and John Henry, because as we know, that is absolutely not what Sheikh Mansour is, is in it for. Exactly. Um, you know, and that is, I would imagine that was a, probably a, a wake-up call for them as well to realise that they'd, they'd made a mistake here. And it was telling that the apology came from, well, we've seen Joel Glazer write that dreadful open letter and John Henry's hostage video. City's apology came from Soriano, or as a season ticket older mate of mine said, Ferran very Soriano on, yeah. um, on Wednesday. And I think it's telling that the letter came from him. And, you know, Stu's right that City obviously did have doubts about this. And, you know, you wonder if there's a few people looking back a week now and thinking we should have we should have held our nerve. And it's it you know, it's amazing that people get into these into positions of power at, at football and they're all football fans. But once you're in that position of power in the industry with that money floating about, you almost you know, it almost feels like you forget what's actually at the heart of it. And, and it's amazing that no one saw this reaction coming and how vitriolic the reaction would be. And just imagine a different scenario that City had discussed this and said, this is going to be the reaction. This ain't going to work. People are going to go mental over this. And if they'd said no, and it had collapsed on Tuesday night and City had never been in it, I mean, imagine the praise City would be getting now for it. And you think it's, it's just a shame that they didn't hold their nerve, really, and, and, st and say, 
you know, we're never in it rather than we're in and then we're, then we're out. Yeah, I think you're right. Like I said, it just feels like, you know, City, I've had so many run-ins with UEFA, but just last year, how many clubs wrote to UEFA requesting yeah. City to be banned from the Champions League? And it just feels like they've got into bed with people who wanted to grind them into nothing literally just a year ago. It seems so strange to me that, as you say, they've, it just feels like they were playing a game of chicken and they blinked first um, when, as you say, if they had have held the nerve, they would be being lauded, you know, even though they are still a, a kind of a, a club owned by, you know, a, you know, um, Abu Dhabi royalty, they'd still be getting held in now as like the saviors of football because they, as PSG are, you know, PSG are owned by Qatar, by Munich, or FC Hollywood, they're by no means angels. Um, but yeah, they're being held as signals of virtue because they were the ones who either had the foresight or just morally said no to this kind of ridiculous idea um which again i just want to go back to like the the arguments of perez of saying like these matches will be exciting because we get to see you know the big teams each other every week no one wants to watch madrid versus Cadiz or you know burnley versus united but we had barcelona versus juventus twice this season in the champions league do we if you remember that game those games can either of you tell me the scores Exactly, because there were group stage games where there was no drama. Both teams had, were easily going to get through the groups because the other two teams won nothing. And even if you did know the scores, then I'm very glad you didn't say it and ruin my point. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, games mattered, meant absolutely nothing because there was no drama, there was no jeopardy. The games now in the quarterfinals onwards and the last 16, the knockout stages, they mean so much more because the drama is there, the risk is there. And I just do not, I cannot comprehend how these owners can look at this Super League and think, oh, this will get everyone talking because there's just be absolutely no peril, no stakes. Mm. But thankfully, that's, sorry, go on. That, oh, that's the thing with the, the Champions League as well, I think, that I think if you ask fans now, and there's a lot of talk now about people say, well, you know, UEFA have, have fought against it, but now they need to pull back on these Champions League reforms. But these aren't UEFA's Champions yep. League reforms. These Champions League reforms are, about, are instigated by the same clubs who formed this breakaway league. And I think if you ask fans, they'd say the Champions League is is brilliant. The group mm-hmm. stage isn't perfect, but I don't think you can fix that without minimising teams. From, yeah, without if you take away the group stage, you mm-hmm. take away the chances of smaller teams progressing. And every now and again, you get a great mm-hmm. group stage like Inter Milan and Real Madrid's group this year. It does happen mm-hmm. occasionally. But certainly from the last 16 onwards, I think the Champions League knockout stages are probably the best football played anywhere in the world. It's the one, you know, it's better than the World Cup, the knockout mm-hmm. stages. Games are consistently brilliant, high quality, and they're great because they happen yeah. rarely. City, I mean, City have played a lot of big teams in, in recent years, but a lot of it's been in the group stage. And you imagine a, an occasion where City play Bayern Munich in the knockout stages for the first time. That'd be absolutely massive. I was on the United podcast the other week saying, you know, your theory of United-Real Madrid every year. United haven't played Real Madrid since Fergie's last season, I think it was. If they met in the Champions League quarterfinals next year, like imagine the drama around that game. And if it happened every year, it's just not the same. And I think as much as we do want these Champions League reforms to be rowed back now, it's, a, it's important to remember they're not UEFA. These are instigated by the same clubs. And I think most football fans would say the Champions League at the moment works pretty well. And it might be a compromise, but it's producing probably the most exciting football in the world. <laughs> the, other, the other side of that coin, of course, is that um, it beggars belief about the Premier League clubs. You can understand to an extent the Spanish clubs, because like you say, Real Madrid Cadiz is a foregone conclusion. Uh, you know, the Spanish league has been a foregone conclusion. You know, you've got Real Madrid and Barcelona. Let's go Madrid, join the party every now and then. But it's still basically those two clubs and a possible third one. The Premier League is the best league in the world in terms of 
selling it around the world and its competitiveness because there's always that jeopardy. You know, since since the, the Super League became apparent on, on Sunday, Ty was at the game, United struggled to beat Burnley. Mm. You know, Chelsea were held by Brighton. Liverpool were held by Leeds. And Milan then, lost you know, to Sassuolo yesterday. Well, yeah, but that, that's, you know, this this is a regular thing in the Premier League. You go into every mm. single game and you'll watch it. I'll watch United against Burnley because you think, you know, Burnley might turn them up because they have done in recent years. You know, they've got a great record at Old Trafford. Mm. Uh, you, you know that last night, City mm-hmm. Villa. You knew that there was a chance. You knew chance there was a chance that if City weren't right at it and Villa played well, Villa can turn them over. That happens in the Premier League, and and that would have been taken away from the Premier League clubs. You know, all right, they, they would have been so much more. What well, the big six would have been so much more. Even if they stayed in the Premier League, they'd have been so much more wealthy. They'd have had, you know, even more so than they are now. They would have just taken taken them away, you know. Would have lost that from the. Would have had six clubs fighting it out, and the other fourteen making up the numbers. No Leicesters, no West Ham's, uh, no nobody joining the party because you know they've done particularly well off the field or in terms of investment. So the Premier League clubs were were killing their own goose really because that is that is their bread and butter. That is that is what is making most of the money. The Champions League is a big boost. Let's get it right. But the Premier League and the way it gets sold around the world. And people tune in because there's always that element of jeopardy is 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 the essence of, of what our game is about and that the short-sightedness of not seeing that is another another factor that weigh, weighs against the people who who made these decisions yeah i agree it certainly seems like you know it's applied by juventus and especially madrid and barcelona to kind of get themselves out the hole net real madrid a 900 million euros or dollars or whatever it is in debt following the pandemic Barcelona, a, a well-documented financial woes. As we've seen, they couldn't even sign Eric Garcia for five million in January, for Pete's sake. You know, both of them are only looking at, um, you know, free transfers, and that's basically the crux of it. They wanted the Premier League. They wanted a slice of the Premier League pie, basically, and trying to dig themselves out of the hole so they can compete with those clubs. You know, Perez's interview yesterday was very revealing because all he was basically doing was crying that Madrid were in debt and don't have enough money, and they wouldn't be able to sign Haaland or Mbappe. And as a result, is the Madrid fans will probably have his head on a spike come the end of the summer transfer window. That's what it's all come down to. And I think it's just so strange to me that these Premier League clubs just fell hook, line and sinker for it. And as you say, Ty, the Champions League, it's not perfect. And these reforms, you know, they kind of got shrugged under the carpet a little bit because it was on the Monday when chaos was ensuing. But the reforms for this new Champions League are absolutely dreadful. So many, 100 more games, all of them pointless, just needless games with no drama that, yeah, you might get more TV money, but eventually, if your product isn't as good, not as many people are going to tune in and eventually your value is going to go down. You know, prestige is gained from kind of rarity and special occasions. And I think now that these all these clubs have resigned from the ECAA, haven't they? Then they haven't got as much power to deal with UEFA now. PSG chairman is the head of the ECA now after Angeli's kind of... Um, Resignation, resignation. Hopefully, now with these clubs, they've played their trump card and they've spectacularly failed. They've lost so much power in the Premier League and in UEFA and ECA. As a result, it's now for real kind of sanctions and punishments. And I think, as you say, these Champions League reforms tie, they need reversing ASAP. Get back to normal. As I was going to say earlier. To me, the group stage is the worst bit of the Champions League. You get the odd dramatic game when qualification to the next stage is on the line. I remember Liverpool v Napoli a couple of years ago when Alisson makes an amazing save in the last minute. Mm. Great game when there's drama on the line. But most of these games are pointless because all in all, fifty usually over the last few years, 15 of the 16 richest clubs in the Champions League qualify to the next stage. The only outliers of the recent years have been Leipzig or Shakhtar, something like that. 
So the Champions League needs reforms, Ty. And hopefully we get them, especially in the Premier League as well. What what happens next after all this? Um, I mean, it, you, you talk about the power there and, and the loss of power. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes for these clubs to get power back because I think inevitably they, they will get power back. And we talk about punishments. I don't think there will be punishments particularly. And I don't think it's right for... You talk of points deductions and things like that. I don't think that's right at all. You're punishing the the players and the fans there who have been against this. If anything, it needs to be punishment against the owners, but it's hard to know how you do that or the executives. I mean, Woodward's already fallen on his sword at, at United. But, you know, the, the time to act in terms of grabbing power back for the other 14 Premier League clubs and in Europe is, is probably now because eventually these six will rise to the top again and, and will be in charge of the, the power and the decision-making again and... It, you know, it does feel like at the moment it's a bit of a watershed and a chance to, to redistribute power. But at the end of the day, the other 14 Premier League clubs know that without these six, they're they're worthless and their TV their TV broadcast deal is, is shot to pieces. So they do need them and these six will regain the power, if not the trust, eventually. Um, and in terms of what comes next in, in Europe, it would be nice to see these Champions League reforms changed. I'm not sure that they will be. I mean, it's still better than a breakaway league, but you'd at least like to think this idea of two legacy places will be shelved. But you know, it, it's hard to see where we go from here. And, you know, you're, you're right in what you say about Perez. All of this is driven by finances and clubs. Clubs are a business now. And, and that horse bolted a long time ago. And we might come on to that. But, you know, it, it's all about how much money you can make rather than the sporting aspect of it. And I think it's only a matter of time before something like this, maybe not as dramatic as this, but attempts to, to shift the power to the teams who or the clubs who feel they are... And, you know, and they are right in terms of the Premier League broadcast deal is so attractive because of them. And the Champions League deal is attractive because of them. But this is a sport, not a business. And that's just not how it works here. And the unfortunate thing is we've got businessmen in football clubs now. And that's why there's there's a there's a trade-off between the sport and the business. And at the moment, the sport's losing. See, and for me, like, you know, yeah, the, the six Premier League teams are being in the eyes from Asia and Africa and, you know, all over the world, America, all over. But end of the day, it wouldn't be the Premier League for everyone else. And that's, you know, probably the one thing that is saving this. Remember Project Big Picture at the end of last year, that feels like that was the kind of sneak attempt in to blow up the castle. That, that felt like if they had got that through and got voting kind of veto power and whatever it was, they wanted to make it not as much as democracy, they would have managed to pull this through, push this through so much easier. You know, in hindsight, the plans are so much more kind of clear. But for me, Ty, I must say, I agree with your, your kind of view on the punishment. I think, you know, fans and players weren't responsible for this. Obviously not. No one was. You know, the greedy few in the shadows, that's, this is all their game. But... There's so many clubs from 2004 onwards who have faced punishment for owners' misdealings and, you know, indiscretions. You know, there's a list that I can kind of spin off here easily. Bolton, Crystal Palace, Portsmouth, Wigan, Stockport, Coventry, Crawley, Sheffield Wednesday. There's Leeds. It is absolutely endless. Those fans had nothing to do with that. So for me, the, you know, these clubs need to be dealt with. In the Premier League, at least, I would... I want the absolute book thrown at them personally. Maybe I'm being naive, but to me, I find I don't see it doing much because we know they've got big pockets and I can't imagine the Premier League are going to find them enough to make an impact, Stu. But for me, I'd slap them all, the big six, with massive point deductions starting next season. 
minus 30, minus 35, minus 40. And then the think the main reason for me for doing that, not only is it punishing them, but next year, it'd make the most exciting Premier League season ever because anyone could win it. Now, City probably would be the one who'd still end up winning it because they, you know, they've won it by 30 points or whatever before. But you, you give all those big six a big handicap, punish them for what they've done. And to me... You get the most exciting Premier League that the Super League could only dream of. So open, every team you'd thought would actually go for it because think, well, oh, this is our only chance. You know, imagine Crystal Palace and West Ham just going for it properly, and it could. And, and then the, at the other end of the table, the relegation race, six pointer between United and Newcastle. Actually, you know, even those games that you think don't mean anything, there'd be so much more drama to it. And I'm not suggesting there should be a handicap every season. I don't. I don't think football should be like golf or anything. But as a punishment. For this indiscretion here, which I think they need to deserve, just to bay everyone's blood and show the Premier League that you know they can they can stamp this out before it even gets started if they try and get cheeky again. I think it would have so much more of a benefit for the league next year as well, Stu. I couldn't disagree more. Really? <laughs> I couldn't, for two reasons. One, I, I just think it would make an absolute mockery of the Premier League uh, as a competition. I mean, you know. It's, for having having and I I agree I agree with your point about the fans weren't to blame when it you know in terms of what happened to to the clubs that you listed, but and the, the fans got punished, but that was wrong, and, and imposing another two wrongs don't make a right. My mum always said, and I I, I disagreed with that. I, I felt sorry for the fans, and I I, I felt I feel that points deducted for owners. What they need to do is have a mechanism where owners uh, and chief executives who make these mistakes that cost everyone, including their own fans. Should be booted or you know barred from holding office like like we do in, in society in general. If, if somebody messes up and bankrupts a company, they, they, they get punished for it. You know, you, do you, don't, you, don't, you don't. Well, yeah, <laughs> on, on the on the on the face of it, yeah. So you know, I I just think that doing that would would make a mockery. And every whoever won the Premier League, you know, if, if everyone got deducted forty points, and then say Leicester won won the Premier League. They'd have an asterisk against them forever, and everyone would be saying, "Well, actually, we won it because without the forty point, and it, it would it would make an absolute mockery." There's got to be a mechanism to, to to punish the people who are responsible here. But the biggest point, the main point in terms of that, if you we've got a united front at the moment, football in this country is united like never before. Fans of every single club, including the fans of the big six, are all singing from the same sheet. We've got politicians on board of all parties. Like you say, the royal family's on board. You've got players coming out and, and backing it, including James Milner. You know, Fernandinho did it last night. Players are, are making it making it known that they were against the European Super League and they're all on board. Coaches, I mean, Pep, we don't know, and we may never know, but Pep Guardiola's opposing it and Jurgen Klopp opposing it and making it plain that they weren't happy with it. That went an awful long way as well. So you've got everybody, the whole football, people who actually love the game and don't and don't love the money that's involved. Now, if you start if you start punishing James Milner and Jordan Henderson and Fernandinho and Bruno Fernandez for what their owners have done, and you start punishing the fans of those clubs who stood shoulder to shoulder with the fans of every other club, you're then reintroducing that as that split. And once you've got that split, a European Super League becomes a possibility again. Mm. Because you get two years down the line and Florentino Perez or somebody, some other joker floats it again, what's the reaction going to be then? The fans of United and City and Liverpool are going to say, well, hold on a minute. You know, we, we stood shoulder to shoulder with you two years ago. And what did you do? You spat on us. And, you, 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 you know, we got this thrown out within 48 hours. There was no damage done at the end of the day. 
no, nothing happened. Other, the only thing that got damaged was the reputation of the clubs and their, and their own and their owners. You know, everybody else's reputation was enhanced. The fans, the players, the managers. But here we are now, two years. Down, but you, and you, you, you know, with two years, down, why should why should we? You know, why should we stick with you? We're not going to stick with you. And to me, it'd be counterproductive. It needs to. It's going to have to be swallowed. I'm afraid, because if you don't, that that United front will just fall apart and we'll be back mm-hmm. in the same situation. No one's going to try it in the foreseeable future. They'll try other things. They'll try and, they'll try and do it by, by subtle means. And we've already seen that, like you say, with the, the reforms that have, that have been snuck through already. But nobody's going to try this again uh, in, in, in the foreseeable future. But they will try it if they see that split appearing, for sure. Well, you've certainly eviscerated my piece, Stu, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, no. I've written that in, I know, I wrote it in anger. I do believe, it. I still do think there needs to be punishment. So I, I agree exactly what, you know, I, I, I didn't consider uh, what you're saying, though, how that could form a split. But Ty, other than that, I just don't see how any punishment can ever be brought to him because, you know, there's all talk about the 50 plus one rule, which is so prominent in Germany. And But that's never going to happen here because you, you're not going to get, you know, I know the government are on it now and I know the populist and I know, you know, there's going to be a government-led review and everything. But I, I would one of the hats on my wall right here if a Tory government goes and you know basically Bolshevik revolutionises these football clubs strips them off billion dollar owners and gives 51% of it back to his fan bases I do not see how they're going to get punished or what's going to happen please what what do you think can happen because honestly other than a points deduction which has been the way that every other club's been punished because there's no other way to punish clubs because owners you know the way that companies are set up in, in, in England the limited liability you don't get done you don't you know, the debt's not on your name. You can't punish owners. They've never been punished. And that's why points deductions exist, even though they are wrong, as Stu says. But that is the punishment that has been dealt to clubs since, I don't know, forever. I'm only, I don't know. But I don't see how any, you know, maybe there's change. There seems to be momentum. The government are involved. Fair play to them. It makes me feel sick to say it. But I, I personally just don't see how any other punishment can be laid. Well, no, I don't, the, the fact is we just have to accept there's probably not going to be a punishment. I'm I'm with Stu, I'm afraid, Danny. I, I don't think a, a, a points deduction would work. I don't think it will happen because I think the other clubs know that they still need these these big six. And I don't think it's it's fair, it's the right target. And I accept your point about Bolton and all the others as, as well. And, and that was unfair too. But I don't think it's going to work in, in this situation. With regards to what happens next, I mean, you know, the, the government has embraced this 50 plus one idea since Monday. But the horse bolted on that. 30 years ago in, in this country it is, it is simply not possible and you know the, the issue around the best you can probably do is push for more fan representation on boards but at the end of the day clubs will only agree to that if they know they can ride roughshod over them when it really matters I mean it's less of an issue for City in that their owner in terms of what he does for the club and for the City has been brilliant and no one really no City fan really wants him to go because he's he, you know Shakeman's always been excellent for City and it's you know that it's not really an issue it's more of an issue for around Liverpool and especially United with the Glazers. But, you know, I, I did a piece just to touch on on United and this applies for every club and the possibility of fan representation, really, on United this morning and speaking to a financial expert, he said that, you know, the, the value of that club, if they were looking to sell now, is probably three and a half to four billion pounds. If you want fan ownership, you've got to pay 50% of that. So you're talking two billion quid to get fan ownership at United. You want 50 plus one at the top six clubs, that's 10 billion pounds. I mean, the government don't have 10 billion pounds. They can't sell potholes, let no. alone buy football clubs. Season ticket at Old Trafford, season tickets at Old Trafford can't raise two billion quid. It just ain't going to happen. And the problem is that you know I mentioned before that the balance between 
sport and business is is losing at the moment. And I think it's only going to get worse because yeah, United fans are right to protest against the Glazers. We all know that. They've been horrendous for that football club. But if they want to sell at three and a half billion pound, there's a very, very limited group of people who can buy that football club. And you're talking Saudi Arabia, which would be absolutely horrendous. Or you're talking a private equity firm. And, you know, as someone I was speaking to yesterday said, if you think the Glazers are bad, wait until you get a private equity firm in charge of a, a football club, because those lot do not give a damn. And if no. it was a private equity firm who, who were in charge of some of these football clubs and suggested a Super League, they'd still be in it now because they don't care. Their sole intention is is for profit. And, you know, especially when I was speaking to you, you always got to wonder about people who've got that much money, but will still make these decisions to make more. And in private equity worlds, that's just how it works. And, you know, if you think the Glazers are bad, which they are, but, you know, they have, United have still spent money on players. They've neglected Old Trafford embarrassingly, but they've not overly destabilised the club. But if these clubs end up in the hands of private equity firms, who realistically, at, at three and a half billion quid, might be the only solution, then, Christ, they'll make the Glazers look like some kind of latter-day Martin Edwards. And, you know, that's that's the, the prospect for these clubs, that if you do force the owners out and you want the owners out, then the reality is you... You might be jumping into even even murkier waters and even more shark infested waters. So, you know, there does feel like there needs to be something done and some kind of check and balance to be done. But as soon as football clubs float on the stock exchange, this is what could have happened. You know, a lot of this dates back to Tottenham were the first on the stock exchange, but it was probably United in, in 91 that kind of floated it. And, and Gary Neville or accelerated the idea and Neville point, pointed out on Monday that as soon as you're on the stock exchange, you're liable to a takeover from whoever wants it. And it was the Glazers that, that wanted it. And, you know, the going on the stock exchange was was probably a, a way of getting progress and moving into the Premier League era then. But the problem then is that everyone else still comes next wants their slice of progress. And for the Glazers, their slice of progress was a European Super League. Same for Henry, same for Kroenke. And clubs like City were felt they were forced into it. And, you know, the, the problem is they, they want their slice of progress because they want to be able to sell at three and a half, four billion pounds. But, the people who are buying football clubs at that sort of price are not, you know, Manchester lads who have done well for themselves. People who are buying football clubs at, at that sort of price are not going to be good for your football club. Where do we go from here, Stu? I think the, I think it's stark. The options are stark. The, the only option you've got if you're a United fan and Liverpool fan who doesn't like it, it like I said, it doesn't really apply to City. I, th- I think they're emerging from this in a better shape than those two are. I, I think that they'll just they'll cling on. The, the, some supporters will won't forgive them, but I think I think given what we've learned in the last 24, 48 hours, I, I think that they may just get away with it with a reputation intact. But the, the ship sailed a long time ago, and you know I I was outside Old Trafford when the Glazers took over in two thousand and five, and they had to be smuggled out in a police van. I, I was there in a, a journalistic capacity. May I may I hasten to add? <laughs> um, and you know, and the anger that night was palpable, and and everyone felt that this this was going somewhere, and there were protests. Um, you know, there were people ripping up the season tickets and walking away, and some of them have stuck to that. There there were people who who formed FC United. Now I know they get a lot of stick at FC United, but in retrospect, those people were right. They were saying this would happen. They were saying that football sold its soul. It's gone down this this corporate road. We don't want anything to do with that. We want a we want a football club where we stay as as United fans, but we have we have something of our own that's not that's based on community and it's based on on being together and it's based on football and on sporting values, um, and and that's what they've done and they're, they're still there and they're still going okay, you know. And to me, those people, the people who did that, the people who walked away from Old Trafford, then 
I've got my ultimate respect mm. because they, they stuck to the principles. I'm, they still, a lot of them still watch United and they still cheer for them because it's in the soul. They can't, they can't do anything else. Um, but that's the start choice, I think, that, that fans are facing. Now, over the, every time, you know, every time United had a few bad results, we get the green and gold, and you know, the number of people wearing them go up. No, you know, it's no good. The, the chance was there. The chance was yeah. there. Boycott at that point. If United had turned out, walked down the tunnel, and there's like a smattering of people inside the ground, but the Glazers knew that was never going to happen. A because too many fans don't understand where those where real fans are coming from. You know, you got your day trippers and people who just just there for the football and don't and go to the, the megastore and don't understand any of it. Um, you know, they, they they knew they knew that and that they knew they'd get away with it, um, and and they have done. And every time somebody puts on the green and gold scarf, it doesn't really matter to them. They don't, they don't give a monkeys. They're not here. They're not living. You know, I, I felt a little bit sorry for, for United executive. You know, it, it happened to David Gill and it happened to Ed Woodward. They're getting stick because they're living in Manchester and they're getting people turning up at the gates. And you know, and it's it's not right because these people have got families and they, they don't they don't they don't deserve that. Even if you think the person themselves deserves it, the families don't deserve it. But the Glazers don't. They're they're off in Florida and New York and Washington or wherever. And they don't give they don't give a monkeys that people are kicking off over here. They didn't, and that's what they, they counted on with this super. League. Yeah, it'll die down in a bit, like it did in two thousand and five. They're all getting upset now, but give it give it a couple of weeks. Once the football starts again, they'll all forget it. And Once they be... sign Haaland in the summer. <laughs> the, the other, I mean, the, the second point is that you know that there are so many fans of football club out there. Yeah, I can't walk away. I'm too big a fan to walk away. No, sorry, but the biggest fans are the ones who walked away. The ones who, because it was in there, it, it damaged them. It damaged them in the heart and in the soul. And they walked away because they could not, they stuck to their principles. And, and if you love the club, well, do something about it. Don't just keep going going to the ground and, and paying your money and, and buying a programme and buying a pie. Stop doing it. You know, uh, I, I understand I understand both sides. I understand people who do it uh, because, you know, it's a big hole in the weekend. But I more understand and I more empathise. I empathise more with the people who walked away personally. And that is your stark choice. Nothing's going to change it. Short of short of revolution, like you say, you've got a stark choice. You either go along with it and just put your blinkers on and, and focus on the football and stuff stuff your Boltons and Wiggins and everybody else and just enjoy, enjoy the football for what it is. Or you opt out. And you go and watch FC United, or you go and watch Bolton, Stockport County, and a lot of people have done that. A lot of people have done that, and I think we'll see more people doing that as as a result of this. You know, I know I, it's been clear to me living in Stockport that you know Stockport County are trying to cash in on it. They say, no, forget them lot. Come and watch mm-hmm. us. You know, we we still got sporting purity. We're still we're still pure of soul, and they are. Um, and people will do that, but not in enough numbers to make any difference, unfortunately. I think. Um... One thing to touch on, or one thing that is important, which Stu touched on this before, actually, is that what, what we saw on Monday and Tuesday is how strong fans can be when they've got a collective voice and are all agreeing on something. And that is something that the power of that needs to be harnessed permanently now. There are social media has turned us into such a binary world. You're either yes or you know, you're for or against. And we even saw a bit of it on, on Monday and Tuesday in this whataboutery, this oh, city fans can't be complaining. They started this with Abu Dhabi. And the Herrera's against it. He's employed by Qatar and it's Gary Neville's against it. Well, of course he is. He works for Sky. It's just absolute nonsense. And, you know, a perfect world doesn't exist. But football fans have shown that collectively they've got a much stronger voice. And it's absolutely fine to 
you know, for City and Liverpool fans to have a go at each other, for a City Liverpool or City United game, for fans to exchange a bit of good-natured stick, but also walk out and accept that City and United fans, City and Liverpool, United and Liverpool fans have got far more in common than they have with the people who own and run their football clubs. And, you know, it is important that they use this collective voice and realise that we are so much stronger together. And football fans in this country have had the mick taken out of them for, for too long with ticket prices, with kickoff times and things like that. And the only way to change that is if football fans rise up as one. And we've seen what can happen when they when they do that. And it feels like the power of that has to be harnessed rather than next week we end up with fans just dis- disregarding each other and, and taking the piss out of each other again. You know, that that needs to be stuck together. And it can fix a lot of this as well. We, we saw with, you know, Perez saying 16 to 24 year olds don't have the concentration to watch football. I mean, that's nonsense. They can sit through an eight-hour Twitch session and binge watch Netflix. They don't I've go had to I'm 24 and I've had the concentration to listen to him blither on for over an hour and a half. Exactly, and that yeah. So they don't, you can stick that one where the sun don't shine. Yeah, they don't watch 90 minutes of football because they cannot afford to watch 90 minutes of football, either in the ground or on telly. So, you know, there's so many things that fans can influence and, and can change, but this is showing that collectively they're, they're much stronger. And I think it needs to be the moment that people, you know, to use Northwest clubs like City United and Liverpool, who have all got obvious rivalries and obvious, dislike each other for, for obvious reasons, but they've got far more in common than, than the people that run their clubs. And I think, you know, they, they need to remember that and realise that you can destroy each other in the ground verbally with a, a bit of fun on a Sunday and then come back together on a Monday and realise that, that we're stronger together. Absolutely. And lads, yeah. on that brilliant note, we're going to have to bring this podcast to a close because we've not even been able to speak about everything we want to speak about on the Super League itself. We've not even touched on City getting to the Champions League semi-finals for the only the first time under Pep Guardiola. We've not even talked about a semi-final defeat to Chelsea last Saturday, which feels like a decade ago. Yeah. We've not even talked about a Carabao Cup final coming up on Sunday. But hopefully next week we can come back and talk about all those things and even more Super League fallout, no doubt, because I think we all have so much more left to say on that, so much unpent, you know, bottled up feelings. And it's been really good to kind of get them all out, even if we disagree or agree on some points. But yeah, thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you're sleeping a bit easier now that the Super League is, um, well, Perez is trying to keep the zombie alive, but for all intents and purposes, for now at least, it is dead in the ground and we can all rejoice in that. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. Go over to Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester City for you know the upcoming coverage of the Carabao Cup final and any um, continued Super League fallout. Stu, would you like to tell people where they can get you on Twitter? Yeah, you can get me on at Stu Brennan, M-A-M. And Ty? I wouldn't uh, recommend I- it though. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. Full of, full of wonderful insight. Um, I am at Ty Marshall underscore MEN. You can get me at Dan Murphy MEN. Of course, you can get us all at Man City MEN. Get us on Facebook, Instagram, all over the place. You know, like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Thank you very much for listening. Ta-ra!